LinkedIn presents. I recently won Best Technology Podcast, uh, the iHeartRadio Award. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, it was, I mean, I'm going to keep it real. When I was nominated, I felt like I needed to be like, oh, like, I'm just happy to be nominated. Who cares who wins? And then when I won, I was like, yes, <laughs> I was so happy. It was one of those times where, like, I really needed a W, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I it meant a lot to me. And especially the fact that, like, I was nominated alongside huge established podcasts like Kara Swisher's podcast, the New York Times tech podcast. And I make my podcast in my kitchen. Like you're looking at my studio right now. It's really just me. And the fact that I would even be considered alongside these podcasts where they have teams of 20 and they're so produced and so, so, you know, was such a huge win for me. Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle, where each week we talk to founders and freelancers about their journey, creating and scaling up their business. My name is Chris Colbert, and I'm the founder and CEO of the media company DCP Entertainment, as well as the video and podcast recording space, Podstream Studios Times Square. This season, we are part of the LinkedIn Podcast Academy, so make sure to check out our show notes for information about our weekly newsletter and live events. In this conversation, I'm talking to Bridget Todd, an activist, teacher, award-winning podcast host, and the founder of the mission-driven media company, Unbossed Creative. This conversation originally aired as part of our first season of Entrepreneur Struggle. But over a year later, I wanted to bring this conversation back, fresh off the heels of last week's episode, where we talked to similar mission-driven creators, Jen Brown and Chase Parker. So make sure to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But in this conversation with Bridget Todd, we talk about how her former students inspired the work that she does now, how she structures her time, and how she uses the digital space to further her activism. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. And also thank you for this platform for folks to talk about entrepreneurship, especially the ups and downs and not just talking about sort of the good times that you see on Instagram, the real times too. <laughs> oh yeah. That's the thing. Like I feel like the whole reason for starting was like, I felt very lonely sometimes in that entrepreneurial journey. And I, I have been fortunate to meet other founders who have been open about their experiences. And in, in talking with them, we're like, we don't have these conversations enough about these particular challenges. Because I think a lot of times we're afraid of how our employees might look at us or potential partners of, wow, they don't have their stuff together, so how can they run this business? But we're human beings. And so, yeah, I think it's important we have these conversations. And part of why I really you know, wanted to talk with you is like you are operating businesses, but you are also helping others lead their own businesses. So like, you have a very unique perspective. And again, you're a teacher. And so I want to first start with I'll frame it this way. What was that journey going from being a teacher at Howard University and all the, the steps in between to you now being the founder and CEO of Unbossed Creative? Yeah, I have to shout out Howard. Go Bison. Um, it was so getting, getting when I started my career teaching at Howard, it was my dream job, right? Like I was that teacher lady who loved teaching so much. I literally had a personalized license plate that said love to teach. Like <laughs> I had found my my calling in life. And I think the thing that really kickstarted me to thinking about like, well, gee, I love teaching and this is so fulfilling, but what else is out there really was the students. I don't know if folks listening are really familiar with Howard, but Howard is this incredible place where the students are so deeply civically engaged and sort of focused and and, and really like laser focused on social change in this really particular way. They, they 
come from a place of feeling so empowered to change the world around them. Like I would teach classes and have these you know, 18, 19 year old young people come up to me afterward and be like, oh, Professor Todd, sign this petition to get the university to stop using this particular brand of toilet paper because that brand also sponsors private prisons, like stuff like that, where I was like, I don't know how you know this. And I also don't know, like, I love that you feel so empowered to change the world. And so at that time in my life, when I was teaching at Howard, you know, this was, it was, I guess I would say it was an interesting time politically. There was a lot to be angry about and frustrated about politically. And I, at that time, I felt very disempowered. I felt like I was having a really hard time finding my voice. I, I would have these political opinions or frustrations and I would, you know, go on Facebook and make a post to my 200 friends and then be like, take that. And then I would post it. And that felt so empty. And yet every day I was surrounded by these young people who felt so empowered and engaged. And so honestly, I have to say like, they inspired me to start thinking like, well, do I want to work in activism and politics and organizing professionally? Do I want, I felt so disengaged, but being around people who were so activated and so motivated, that's really what kickstarted me into doing the work that I do now. That's amazing. Like, I think we, a lot of times when we think about mentorship or even teaching, you know, specific to what you're doing as a professor, like we think about it as us imparting, you know, wisdom onto the younger generation, but there's a lot that we can take away from that younger generation, especially this, you know, younger generation that is very activism driven, as you just mentioned. Like, yeah, it's a, I didn't realize that they were kind of the ones that made you realize that this is your new career goal. Like, this is where you can take things. Teaching is great on that on that small scale at Howard. And, you know, Howard's not a small university, don't get me wrong, but you're now taking it to the world. And so that's incredible that they helped to kind of lead you down that path. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up. To today's young people, they're like built different. They're so brave, creative, you know, outspoken. Um, I just like, I love to see it. it in the work that I do can be very dis- disappointing and like, it can feel hopeless, but young people, especially the today's generation of young people, it's just, it's, there's so much to be hopeful about when you look at them. Oh, yeah. And I noticed, too, when you left Howard, it seemed like you uh, were kind of bouncing around the different companies a lot with freelance work. But I couldn't tell if some of it was kind of full time staff. But can you talk about just kind of where you went from there? And was it intentional about how much you bounced around? Like, I just looked at your resume and thought, wow, she probably learned so much by working with all these different companies. Yeah. What, what was the intentionality there? Yeah, I wish Oh, it would sound it would be so smart and sound so good if I was like, oh, I had a very intentional plan, but none of it was planned, you know. It just really was bouncing around. And a lot of those, like when you look at my resume, there's a lot of, some of them are full-time jobs. Some of them are freelance jobs. Some of them are sort of projects. And the reason for that is that I really feel like I got a crash, crash course early on in my career of how kind of fickle uh, jobs, even full-time jobs can be, right? I had always heard, you know, self-employment, entrepreneurship, that's so risky, that's so dicey. You're really betting on yourself and taking a gamble. But nobody ever really talks about the ways that full-time employment can also be a gamble. So so mm-hmm. in my post-Howard years, I was no longer, I, I was, I guess I would say, let go from three different jobs, not fired, not laid off, because those, those organizations imploded. So three different times in my career, um, organizations just like, through no fault of any of the employees, just were, a, were not able to k- keep going. And so I really saw that, you know, 
yes, entrepreneurship is a is a gamble and like can be risky, but full-time employment these days can also be risky. And so it really taught me that in my work, I want to make sure that I am not chasing loyalty to like one organization or one person, but I'm really sort of that like values aligned work. And so, you know, values aligned work that, that, that centers my own values and sort of brings them out of me. And so because of that, um, I guess like learning lesson or learned lesson, I have really jumped around a lot. And so if, I, I think if you looked at my resume, you would say, wow, this is someone who really <laughs> bounced around and it's true, but it's none of it is intentional. It's all sort of, you know, decisions made with you know, backs against the wall or that kind of thing. Like none of it has been intentional. It's all been a learning experience, we'll call it. Well, and to your point, I guess a lot of what I'm hearing you say is like you're operating in the moment. So what is needed in the moment, not only for you, but also for the mission-driven work that you're trying to do, you are adjusting on the fly and being ready to pivot at any moment to make sure you're getting the best for yourself and also giving the best of you for the causes that you're championing. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's been such a, if if there's one piece of advice I could give folks listening, it's being, putting yourself in a situation where you can pivot easily, right? And so not being so, whether it's in full-time work, freelance work, entrepreneur work, your own, you know, your own business, being able to pivot and not being so beholden to like one idea or one focus that when that's not working, you feel like you need to cling to it because I've certainly stuck around for things for much longer than they, than I should have because I was like, well, no, this is what I said I was going to do. This is what makes sense for me to do. And that ability to pivot and be like, yo, this isn't working. You know, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to pivot? How are we going to shift to make it work? I think has really, really um, helps define my work in, in, in this part of my career. I like that. And I've noticed too, like you champion so many different activism causes. And so, you know, I think the ones that most people know you for are really around, uh, you know, women's rights and feminism, but also, you know, uh, BIPOC issues um, and and obviously rights for black people specifically. But also it's not just here in America. I noticed you do, you know, we're focusing on abortion in Ireland. And so like, how do you manage all these causes that you want to champion without burning yourself out and without splitting too much of your time so that you're actually able to accomplish what you want to accomplish? Oh, what a good question. I'm so glad you asked. You know, I'm, it's definitely been a learning process for me. I used to be the kind of person who would get on podcasts or get on whatever platform and be like, oh, practice self-care, don't burn out. But like, actually, in my actual life, I was struggling with that. And so it's definitely been a, a process. I think for me, it's, I was once in an interview with Elaine Welteroth and she told me the way that she makes decisions is if it's not a, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. Right. And so if that is your guiding principle, that if somebody asks you to take something on or or get involved in something and you're like, could be good. I don't know. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. That is a no. If you, you can feel it, like you can hear in yourself when you're excited and motivated about something. And when you, it it really is an, an alignment there. And so I really kind of like use that as a mantra that like, if it's not a fuck, yeah, I'm so excited. Let's do this. Let's do it. Then it's a no. And that really helps me decide which things are things that I really want to, you know, focus my energy and my time on, which is limited. And what things are like, well, it'll be nice, but maybe not for me, maybe next time. And I firmly, firmly believe that the universe finds a way to put things in your path that are right for you. And so once you really clock into that mindset, you can really stop chasing stuff because you just know like what is for me will find me and will click with me and will work out with me. And if it doesn't, then it just wasn't right. And so 
that's really been a, a way that I've prioritized what I take on versus what I don't. But then also like just logistically, I think I can be a little bit, I don't want to say difficult to work with, but I'm particular because I have so much on my plate. And so it's like, I know that I am not one of those entrepreneurs who's like, get up at 6 a.m. I'm not a morning person. It's just, it's just I've never have been. I never will be. There's not a version of myself where I'm going to be getting up at 6 to hit the gym. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I know that I don't want to do anything early in the morning. And so if somebody wants to get on a call with me or work with me, they have to accept who I am. And that's part of it. And so just really being particular about how I know I work best and not giving in to this idea of like, well, I got to be on someone else's schedule or I got to be this version of somebody else, of, of what somebody else thinks I should be. Right. And so just really focusing on that. But sometimes that means like, yeah, I can't get on a call with you before nine because that's my time. Or, you know, I do my yoga every day at this time or take my walk every day at this time. And so, no, I'm not going to be able to do that at this time because that's how I work. And so being particular and protect protective about what makes you feel grounded and centered, whatever it is for you, um, has been really important because no one else is going to protect that. No one else is going to say, well, I know you like to take your walk at noon, so we won't schedule. No one else is going to you know, make that a priority but yourself. And so sometimes that can mean feeling like people are annoyed by you, but that's okay. If they want to work with you, they'll they'll... They'll figure That'll it out. That'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. I'm just like you. Like I tr- I've tried hard to be that morning person. I'm just not. I'm a night person. Some of that stems from I used to work, you know, with people in LA and I work on the East Coast. So I'm just used to calls late at night. And so like my body is just more positioned for that. But that's that also I now know that I work better that way. So if I'm trying to force myself to work early, that's not good for anybody. It's not sustainable exactly. for me. And I'm not giving them the right kind of energy that I could give if I'm if I'm operating on the schedule that is most conducive for my lifestyle. Absolutely. And I'm so I'm so glad that you said that because I actually think that we have this like vision of what an entrepreneur is supposed to be like, look like, act like. And I think it's they get up at 6 a.m., they hit the gym, like they it's like and some for some people that works, but you can be an entrepreneur and be all kinds of ways and all like you don't have to get up early and like be a grind hustle kind of person to be an entrepreneur. And when you try to fit into somebody else's mold of what success looks like, that is when you are making it so that you actually can't show up with authenticity. You can't show up as your best self because you're trying to give somebody else's best self and you can only give your best self, you know? Yep. And the boundaries that you were talking about, it's incredible. Like you really spelled out some very specific boundaries. Like I can tell you've put a lot of thought into this and that you've actually been uh, uh, regimented in making sure that you keep those boundaries. I know that I backslide on those kind of boundaries a lot. And so like, I know that I backslide a lot. So I've, I had to hire an assistant to help me to make sure that I maintain those boundaries because I suck at saying no to things. I want to <laughs> champion every cause. I want to help every single person who reaches out to me, but like, I need a buffer to help me say no. So I don't feel bad at the end of the day. So like oh, sometimes yes. you might have to just recognize that you aren't the best person to maintain your boundaries. You might have to bring someone in to help you with that. Oh my God. I just hired a virtual assistant and she knows like, I don't want to do calls on Mondays because Mondays are for, are for deep focused work and thought and like getting organized. So I don't want to do anything on Mondays. I don't want to do anything before 10 because my brain doesn't really turn on before 10. Right. Um, and so if somebody emailed me, I would be like, oh, well, maybe I can make it work. But exactly, like I need someone else who knows what the marching orders are and can execute them because I know that I will not, I will backslide. I will, if, if I'm in charge of my schedule, we'll be having calls at 6 a.m. 
from the treadmill or something. It's like something completely not what I want to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's me too. You know, back to what you were talking before, you were talking uh, earlier about risk when it came to working for like full-time companies, but the work that you're going in, well, not going in, but the work that you've been doing in the activism space, um, no one gets into that for, uh, you know, security, uh, you know, safety, uh, money, sleep, like you don't go into it for those things. So how do you, you know, manage the stress, the anxiety that potentially comes from doing that kind of work? Oh, what a good question. You know, you're absolutely right. Uh, no one goes into this work for money or because they want to have a really balanced life because that's not what it looks like when you do this work, at least not for me. Um, and so because of that, but, but I also know that like, it's this, it's, it's what, it's like what I am called to do. So I know that my life without that, this doesn't make sense. And so in order for that to work, I do have to live my life a certain kind of way. And so, um, one thing that's huge for me is getting outside into nature. I'm a big, like outdoors person. Um, even if it's just a walk in the park, just down the block from my apartment or like going on a camping trip or a hiking trip, I need to be outside with nature. And that makes me feel reconnected and grounded and sort of, you know, back to my old self. Uh, being around water is really important to me, like going to the beach, going swimming, just like being or out in nature is something that I find very grounding. And then also, you know, all these little ways that I have of managing the stress that comes with this work, right? Like I, it, when I'm, when I'm doing it bet, my, at my best, I don't use my cell, I'm not on my cell phone from 9am to 9pm. And so oh, wow. first thing in the morning is, is no screens, it's journaling, it's yoga, it's taking a walk, it's you know, making breakfast, it's connecting with my partner, but it's not being on my cell phone. I used to be the kind of person who would sleep with my cell phone under my pillow. And as soon as I woke up, I was like, what's happening in the news? What's, what does somebody need from me? But it, you know, I would just start my day with other people putting stuff on me and other people's expectations and needs. And so I, I deserve, everybody deserves to like wake up and take a minute for themselves to like ground to their intentions for the day and how they want to show up and how are they feeling. So often it, we have these barriers that prevent us from doing that. And so, yeah, if I, I backslide on it all the time, but on a good day, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., those are my, my no screen hours. Um, but yeah, it's really just making sure that I have a good sense of what really matters in my life and what matters in my life is like, the people in it and like connecting with my family, connecting with nature, connecting with my friends um, that I find really, really grounding. And just, it just reminds me that, you know, the work that I do is very important, but it's not who, it's not who I am. Who I am is all these other things. And just really connecting with that is really important to keep me on track for all the other stuff. Yeah. And yeah, what you were talking before, like in the beginning, you're talking about like that fulfillment that you get by doing this work. And so that helps to make you complete, makes you feel whole, makes you feel like you are doing your life's mission, which I feel very similar in terms of the work that we do, especially around like say their name and, and advocating for, you know, families who've been impacted by police violence. But then also, as you talked about just yeah, how you're just kind of maintaining things as you go along, I think that's really smart. And, you know, I think, too, about your just like the way that you arrive in the world, like every conversation I've seen you as a part of, whether it be on your podcast or whether you're being interviewed somewhere else or even just your social media presence. Like there's such a joy that comes from your presence. Like you just radiate uh, this positive energy, even though you're focusing on so many, I guess, negative things. Like, how do you get And maybe it's part of what you were just saying with, you know, getting out in nature and stuff like that. But, yeah, how are you able to do this work with such joy 
around all these trolls that are probably also trying to tear you down at the same time. Oh, first of all, what a lovely thing to say. I I really like deeply appreciate that. Like, what a nice thing to say. Um, I it is hard. I, I think for me, joy really is at the center of all the work that I do. Like, I think of joy and love as like a political praxis that I approach all my work through, and so. I'm just sort of a happy, hopeful person. And that is the reason why I do this work. That the subject matter can be like hard or tough or the people who can be attached to that work, you know, people who are not so friendly on the internet and things like that, that can be hard. But ultimately I do this work because it's an expression of hope and joy. I wouldn't be in these fights if I didn't think we could win them. And I truly believe that. I wouldn't be in these fights if I didn't believe in the power of our stories and our voices to make real change. And that's so beautiful. Like, you know, Black folks, that is in our, our that is our legacy, connecting to love and joy and staring, sharing stories. And, you know, I, it's just, it's just I, I feel like that is so much of what my work is grounded in. And yeah, I, I think of coming from a place of joy and hope and laughter and happiness can really be something that helps get you through when the work is a slog or not so happy or not so fun. Do you ever find yourself like maybe trying like overthinking your, your public presence, whether it be on social media or just moving about the world because you also maybe in the back of your mind know, okay, if I do something wrong, I make one misstep, someone's going to use this to try to tear down everything that I've been doing. Like, is there that pressure? Oh, yes, definitely. And I think a lot of Black folks, particularly Black women, probably feel that online, this this pressure of being watched, I guess. Um, I have a friend who I've interviewed on the podcast who has a, a, like a ton of, like a lot more followers than I do and a bigger social media presence than I do and is a, a really prolific activist. And she talks about how she feels that sometimes people are kind of waiting in the wings for her to, to misstep so that they can all be like, well, see, I knew, you know, I knew she was not the real deal. I'm like, gleefully kind of take her down. And I, I definitely honor that because it's um, it's awful. But I think for me, I mean, I don't even... So for the work that I do, I have kind of have to maintain a social media presence. And mm-hmm. I almost sort of don't even think of my social media presence as who I actually am. I've described it as my avatar and that it's sort I of... That. Yeah, it's sort of like, this is the digital version of me. And so it really helps me to be like, okay, well, this is just how I show up on people's, you know, digital screens, on their Twitter, on their whatever. But I know the real me is sort of like safe inside. And so that kind of helps me show up in a different way. And I guess it sort of lowers the stakes because I obviously need to maintain this this, this public profile. And people need to be able to like see what I'm up to in order for my, my work to, to really resonate. But it's not who I am, right? These, these things that happen on the internet, even though I love the internet, these things that happen are not what I consider to be my actual self, my actual real life. I know what my real life is and it's, you know, the people that I love and the people who like are in it. So it kind of, I guess for me, it's allowed me to lower the stakes and just show up a little bit differently in a way that I feel like is kind of self-protective. That's smart. Yeah. And you know, we've been talking a lot about just like the the strict activism kind of work, but that has then led into you creating your own business and Unboss Creative. Can you talk about why you wanted to found that and maybe even, you know, start from the standpoint of like, why is that digital space so important for the work that you do? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad that you asked. So I have been in the sort of activism organizing space for a while. And, you know, I've been in all different kinds of fights from reproductive justice to climate. And one thing that I realized as technology progressed is that 
when we don't have an equal landscape for all of us to show up and tell these stories about reproductive justice, climate change, police violence, whatever, we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna be able to like really win unless we have a digital media landscape that allows us to to, to show up and meaningfully tell these stories safely. And so I started to see the internet and the safety and health of the internet as a through line of all these different issues that I wanted to make an impact on. And so I thought, well, why not just pull back and focus on the internet, focus on social media, focus on who gets to show up and and make their voices heard on social media and who doesn't. And I think I really saw the importance of this um, in 2020 after the murder of George Floyd, because we had situations where, you know, you know, Twitter confirmed that all of these different Twitter accounts going online and saying things like, oh, we're so angry about the murder of George Floyd. Let's show up in the suburbs and create violence and like, you know, get get wild and all of that. Inviting people to, to essentially like commit crimes. A good deal of those accounts were run by white supremacists. Twitter <laughs> confirmed this. And yep. I, like I go back to that time and I think how much did conversations about like law and order and all of that dominate our national press, dominate what was coming from our elected leaders. And all of that was because of a disinformation campaign on social media. And we never really talked about or contended with like the damage that that did when we allowed for bad actors and trolls to really effectively shape the national conversation around policing in this country. And I think it took us, I think that like it really presented itself as an opportunity to create healthier digital ecosystems so that we could have honest, thoughtful conversations about these issues that we know are plaguing our world without worrying that these conversations are going to be co-opted by bad actors. And so that's really how I got laser focused on the internet as as an issue that I wanted to, um, you know, raise to the forefront. And, you know, I, I think for me, you know, creating Unbossed Creative was that why I wanted to do it is because I wanted to use my voice online, but I also wanted to lift up others, right? Like I am someone who has been talking about these issues online for a very long time. I also know that it can be really tricky. It can be kind of scary. It can be, you you, you don't want to say the wrong thing and have everybody pile on you. And so I wanted to make sure that folks had a, had a, a resource where they could meaningfully be amplified and kind of helped through that process. Cause we need, we need so many of our stories and so many of our voices to make change. Yep. And we need to show the breadth of those voices. And, and I think we're it's getting a little bit better in the media landscape in that regard, but there's still a lot more work to be done where we don't have to be pigeonholed in a certain conversations. That's very much the, the same mission with us with DCP. And, you know, back to just kind of like the creation of Unbossed Creative, what were some of those challenges, especially because you were, you know, kind of going more from like a freelance, you know, kind of lifestyle now into leading your own business? Like, what were some of those differences and the challenges that you were facing going from freelance to, to a founder? <laughs> How much time do you have? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Going from somebody who had worked full-time jobs for somebody else to somebody who had just like done freelance gigs and project-based stuff, to somebody who was running a company was a difficult, uh, difficult journey. I learned a lot. I learned one that I'm very unorganized. I have a creative brain and that for whatever reason, that brain does not allow for things like keep your receipts for tax time, like blah, blah, blah. And so I learned that I needed to work with a, another person who has a mind for, uh, 
organization and sort of like the things that keep the things that you need to keep a, a business running. And so I, I think when I first started, I thought I had to do all of this stuff. I thought I had to be a whiz at all of this stuff. And really, you can hire people and, and, and bring people on who can do that stuff for you. So if you're thinking about starting a company, I would definitely say if you don't have to do it all yourself, um, the, the, the title that I have within Unboss Creative is uh, creative director, right? Because what I bring to the table is storytelling, is creative work, is writing, is content. It's not taxes, receipts, you know, <laughs> sending a, t- a stern email, committing to a timeline, any of that, right? And so I think it, for me, it was a learning process that if you're going to be self-employed, you, re- you really, or like leading your own company, you really need to be honest about who you are, how you show up in the world. You don't, you're not going to change who you are, right? You're not going to magically become somebody who's organized. Um, but if you can really be honest about your strengths and your weaknesses, you can always figure a way to navigate that. And so I think that for me in the beginning, I was trying to do all of these things that I've never been good at um, and doing them badly. And, you know, I was my own boss and sometimes my boss sucked. (laughs) (laughs) I know the feeling. Uh, I I know I should fire myself a lot. Uh, (laughs) But like I did the same thing, like the marketing, like I come from a content background and the marketing side was something where like, yeah, I felt like as a small company, like you have to take everything on yourself. You have to limit how much you're spending in certain areas. And so it's like, okay, I'll figure out the marketing thing. And and now, you know, three years in, I'm like, oh, wow, I really wish I would have invested in like professional marketing earlier. Like we've done it now. But I wish we would have done that earlier. But it's all it's all a learning experience. And I think as you were just talking, it's great to be able to take a step back and if possible, take a step back before you jump into your business to understand what are my strengths and weaknesses and whatever those weaknesses are, like prioritize the importances of those of those weaknesses. And okay, if marketing for me is that that main thing that I have a gap in, that that's the first hire I need to make, whether it be a freelancer or somebody on my team. But you'll probably want to prioritize that because maybe there are a bunch of things and you can't hire all at once. But then you can jump on that most important thing first. And as you grow, grow your business, maybe make more money or just, you know, have the ability to bring other people in, you can now start supplementing some of those other places where you particularly have gaps in your knowledge. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be, I'm glad that you phrased it that way because I completely agree. It doesn't have to be you're bringing on a marketer, a bookkeeper, a this, a that, all at once. I have times, you know, where I, like for my podcast, for instance, I brought on an outside marketing team and they're going to help me through the, the, the launch of a new season. And then we'll scale back on them and like prioritize something else. And so it can be a sort of, you know, Sometimes I'm spending money on this and cutting back on that. And then sometimes vice versa. You can really find a, a situation that works for you. Yep. With Unboss Creative, uh, obviously, a lot of the work that you're doing is very mission driven, very activism driven, very women driven. Do you ever get people who reach out to you who clearly haven't done their research? So like I'll speak from my own personal experience of with DCP. Like we basically do all programming that is non-white heterosexual cis males. Like we're a big umbrella when you really think about it. We're just like, we're not <laughs> doing you because you have already have enough. Uh, but I still will get white, cis, heterosexual males who will hit me up and ask me to help them record their album. Like one, we don't do music. Two, we don't do you. Uh, like, why are you messaging me and wasting my time? Like, do you get those kind of inquiries? All the time. So our, our podcast is, is similar. We don't, I mean, like every, we have a couple of times when we need a, a particular like focus, but 99.9% of the people's voices that you will hear on our, on an unbossed creative production is it, it are non cisgender uh, 
people of color, right? And so like, or non-male people of color. Um, and so, yeah, if you're a straight, cis, white dude, there are a million places you can hear your voice and your perspective, yep. right? And so I get people see like, oh, so-and-so will make a great guest for your show. And I'm like, mm, I don't think that you listen to my show because <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree <laughs> all the time, all the time. I mean, it's, it's actually good advice that like, if you're, people ask me all the time, like, if you're cold pitching somebody or reaching out to somebody to like be on their show or whatever, make sure that you're listening to what they actually produce or like you're Googling them or doing some research yeah. and demonstrate that you know a little bit about what they do so that they, you know, will be excited to work with you because nothing turns me off more than somebody who is, has no idea who I am. And they're just asking because they saw my name on a list and they've just, you know, clearly just added in my name to whatever they're pitching on. So yeah, do your yep. research. <laughs> yeah, I, I that's always my big advice. Like I do a lot of mentoring and that's like the one, I give a lot of advice, but that's one of the key ones. I'm like, if you're reaching out to somebody, please do your research. Cause I, I not only will I not respond to you, I'm gonna tell other people about you too. Like <laughs> do not mess with this podcaster. Like, yeah, they, you know, they clearly aren't doing their homework. So don't put yourself in that position. Um, You've mentioned a few times the podcast that you you know you've done uh, hosted some podcasts over the years. The one that is active these days, um, but feel free to mention some of the other po podcasts that you've worked on. There are no girls on the internet. Can you talk a little bit about that work? And I love using this word. I used it earlier, but the intentionality behind wanting to create that podcast and what that is supposed to do, um, you know, for for the uh, mission driven work that you're doing there. Absolutely. Um, so as I said earlier, you know, I got really laser focused on the health of the internet and social media platforms as a, a through line on all these other issues. And so because of that work, I would be in these meetings with, you know, top leadership at companies like Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Reddit, really advocating for changes that I feel and, and you know, people that I represent feel would really allow for all of us to safely and meaningfully show up better on these platforms. And in these meetings, I would look around and all of the other people who would be on like my side of the table or my side of the Zoom box, if you will, post-COVID, were usually women, people of color, queer folks, trans folks, black folks, right? And I realized it is us, people who have been traditionally marginalized, who are really showing up to make these spaces better and safer mm -hmm. and also just more fun to be around, right? Like, what would Twitter be like if not for Black Twitter, if not for Black folks making it a space that feels good to be in? What would Clubhouse be like when, it, if early on Black folks had not really decided to congregate there and make it a space that was popping and interesting where mm -hmm. interesting conversations were going down? And so I, I knew that reality to be the truth. However, when I would look around at like who was who was being amplified in conversations about the internet and technology, always white people, always men, um, never us. And they were mm -hmm. always doing it in this way where it was clear they didn't have a good analysis on intersectionality or, you know, what we bring. And so, you know, I think because of the way that marginalized people have shaped what it means to be on the internet, you can't even have a conversation about the internet without centering us because we are the lifeblood of what makes it, what makes it, a good place to be. And so I really wanted to create a platform to really center us in conversations around technology and the internet. And really in a way that I find that I hope that I hope is like loving and thoughtful. So many of the podcasts that I think that people say are for marginalized people in technology are about like the like how to hustle with cryptocurrency and how to sell NFTs and all of that. No shade to them like I, I love that for them. But we also deserve to have like thoughtful, heady conversations like, you know, 
you know, we deserve to have a This American Life or a, a Reply All or a Fresh Air that centers us. We deserve mm-hmm. thoughtfully told, loving, creative conversations and storytelling. And so that's really what I set out to do is to sort of build a space where our issues can be meaningfully centered in a way that reflects back the reality that we are what makes social media platforms what they are. Well, I think you're very much accomplishing that. So I think, you know, you you entered that space with, I'll use the word again, that intentionality. And I think you are delivering on that with the work that you're doing in that space. And obviously, I've mentioned that you're an award-winning podcaster. So can you, you maybe it's the awards, maybe it's some other things, but can you talk about some of those those wins that you've had for Unbossed Creative or just in the general work that you're doing? We'd love to celebrate, you know, what it is that's going well right now. Oh, well, yeah, I definitely got to mention the awards. Uh, I recently won Best Technology Podcast, uh, the iHeartRadio Award. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Uh, It was, I mean, I'm going to keep it real. I, when I got, when I was nominated, I felt like I needed to be like, oh, like, I'm just happy to be nominated. Who cares who wins? And then when I won, I was like, yes, (laughs) I was so happy. It was one of those times where like, I really needed a W, if you know what I mean. Like I, I, it meant a lot to me. And especially the fact that, like, I was nominated alongside huge established podcasts like Kara Swisher's podcast, the New York Times tech podcast. And I make my podcast in my kitchen. Like, you're looking at my studio right now. It's really just me. And the fact that I would even be considered alongside these podcasts where they have teams of 20 and, and they're so produced yeah. and so, so, you know, was such a huge win for me. And then I would say the other big win that I feel like I recently had was um, this Dear, dear woman, uh, she's no longer with us, Estella Pyform. She was in, or she, her legacy is just really incredible. Basically, she was a retired, a retired teacher who realized that in her, you know, mostly black community, so few of the kids who were in her school had access to computers. And so she spent her retirement savings, bought a bus and tricked that bus out into a mobile learning lab full of computers. So kids in her community could get their schoolwork done. And she would like physically drive this bus at 80 something years old. And so having her on the show to really give her her flowers before she passed was such an honor. Um, She was born in like the early 1900s, lived through the dust bowl and in her in her old age, went to shape technology for a generation of young people in her community. So having the ability to get on the record, her story in her own words was incredibly touching to me. And it's 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 one of my one of my biggest life accomplishments, I think. Wow. Like I'm literally I'm physically you can't talk because I got the hoodie on, but I'm like physically getting goosebumps as you're talking because it's making me I'm hearing in real time. You talk about how like you can literally make change even when you are in your 80s. Like, it, there is no age gap when it comes to the kind of impact that you can have on the world. Because we even just technology, you think about that as a young person's thing, but no, this person who's in their 80s is now creating technology opportunities for generations, two or three you know, generations below her. Like That is absolutely incredible. And for you to be able to be part of that journey, I know it has to feel great. Oh, it does. And I think for, I'm glad that you put it that way, because I think, you know, I always talk about historically or traditionally uh, marginalized voices or underrepresented voices in technology. And older folks are definitely right in that bucket of what I'm talking about. We think so much of technology being out of reach for older folks or out of reach for people who are not a certain age. And that's absolutely not true. There, there are people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s who are shaping technology, using technology every day. And I want to tell their stories because the more we fall into this this incorrect mindset that 
technology is for a certain person who is a certain age or a certain race or looks a certain way, the less the less we the, I guess the less we allow these people to show up as, as the forces that they are. And so I want to make sure that we're having conversations where we can really see them because we should be amplifying their work as well. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. I want to make sure that people know how to stay updated with you and Unboss Creative and any other work that you're doing. So can you mention any websites, social media platforms that people can stay updated on on everything you're doing? Absolutely. You can find my podcast. There are no girls on the internet at iHeartRadio. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast on. You can follow me on Twitter at Bridget Marie or on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. And if you want to check out more about Unbossed Creative, you can go to unbossedcreative.com. Thank you, Bridget Todd, for joining us on Entrepreneur Struggle. And thank you for listening. You can learn more about Bridget's work by going to our show notes, which is also where you can get more information on how to stay up to date on everything Entrepreneur Struggle. We're doing monthly live events, so make sure you're following me on LinkedIn to learn more. Thank you to my producers, Heather Johnson, Brittany Temple, and Mike DuBose. Thank you for the support from the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. And until next episode, stay safe and healthy because the struggle is real. Is real.